And good morning, church. It's always good to be here. And Yunlong crew and online, if you're watching, um, Yunlong, um, we are having a, the first gathering in Yunlong right now. They're having a barbecue and live streaming the sermon, I believe. So yeah, that's very exciting for our church as we um, launch, start um, launching our way into Yunlong and all that God's doing there. So yes, as Andrew's been saying, we spent the past few weeks exploring different faucets of relationships. We've looked at how we can sacrificially give of ourselves, be a good neighbor to the ones around us. We looked at humility and how that countercultural it is in a city like Hong Kong. We've talked about reaching out for others in the gospel and do we hide Jesus under a bushel or do we let him shine in our lives as he's supposed to? And we're talking about, we've talked about as a community, how do we relate to each other and our relationship with the Lord? And then last week, um, Carla talked to us about being reconcilers. You know, are we willing to be reconciled to those who are different or even at animosity with us? And it's been a good journey for me. I hope it's been a good journey for you too. It's been a great honor working with my colleagues and building the sermon series. And so we do round up today by looking at family relationships. I want to tell you something by saying this. Something mysterious. So um, I'm, I daydream a lot. I always daydream about the most ridiculous things. Um, I dream about myself being like a UFC champion and, you know, all that kind of stuff, grappling John Jones and choking him out. Um, I dream about um, receiving phone calls for some reason. I always think, you know, when I pick up the phone, someone's going to call me and be like, Ellison, yes, we need you at the airport within the next 25 minutes. Should you wish to confirm, you know, and then I'll be there at the airport and they send me on some special mission. You know, but it, it gets me thinking. The, the ring of a telephone is one of the most mysterious things in life, right? Because you can never really guarantee what you might hear on the other end. We might have a good idea. For example, if my wife calls me around 4 to 5 p.m. in the evening, I can almost guarantee that the conversation is going to go like, hey, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know what you're going to eat until I correctly guess what she wanted to eat, and we go and eat that, okay? 13 years, it's been the same conversation. But you never really know. You never really know until you actually pick up the phone, and every now and then you get one of those phone calls that completely changes the trajectory of your life. A few years ago, I got one of these phone calls. So my wife, Brittany, and I, we just finished going through the, um, the process of becoming a Project Bridge Parents. Now, Project Bridge is a program by Mother's Choice that trains uh, people um, to be foster care families, um, to train up people to be foster care families so you can receive children in your home, make sure they have a safe, healthy place until they're matched into their forever families. And so we did the training because, um, you know, we'd fostered a few children in the past, three other children in the past. We'd received them in the home and provided some foster care for them. But we'd never done any official training for that. So we thought, you know what, we'll do the training. It seemed like a good thing to do, and in case the need comes up again in the future, we would be able to do that. But we never really expected the need to come up. And so when we got the call that there was a one-month-old baby that needed a foster home, to be honest, our reaction was a bit more like, oh, actually, I don't know. I mean, we... We didn't know how long this child would be with us. We had very little information at the time. And, you know, things were going well for us. We were living smoothly. We had holidays planned. The home was nice and calm and tidy. We had no major responsibilities. We were enjoying what you call dink life. You know what dink means? Double income, no kids. Perfect, right? We could just do whatever we want, whenever we wanted, not accountable to anybody. 
And so receiving a child into the home just seemed like a giant disruption that we weren't ready to engage with. But when we got this phone call, it just so happened that it was during the justice conference, the last justice conference we had in Hong Kong. And it just so happened that one of the keynote speakers at that justice conference was a man called Dr. Krish Kandai. And Krish Kandai, uh, he lives in the UK, amongst many other things, has a huge heart for foster care and adoption. He, he himself welcomes many children into his home, has adopted many kids, and that was exactly what he was talking about, the importance of foster care and adoption. Now, during that session, you know, I was running around doing different things. Brittany and I weren't sitting together, but our reaction was exactly the same. Tears down our eyes, we could, like, found each other in the hallways. Okay, let's do it, let's do it, honey. Yes, Jesus, we'll take this child, whatever it takes, we're going to do it. And soon after that, we received baby Sam into our home. This is baby Sam right here. He was one month old from when we joined our home. Uh, we picked him up from the hospital. And so what followed was the most amazing nine months of looking after Sam, watching him grow up, teaching him new things, celebrating his milestones, Christmas, Chinese New Year, visit to Disneyland. We did all the things you would expect a family to do. And I had no idea I could love a child I had just met so deeply. I mean, from the moment I met baby Sam, I was done. I held him in my arms, picked him up from the hospital. It was like my heart was completely there with him. But also during that time, we had to wrestle with a lot of questions. People asked us questions like, you know, or gave us advice, very bad advice, like, oh, you know, don't get too attached to him because it's going to be very sad when you have to let him go. Oh, it's going to be so difficult. Do you guys think you can cope? Or how are you going to give him up in the, in the future? You know, by the way, we never gave him up. Never use those terms when you talk to foster care and adoption children, okay? We're not giving children up. They're being placed, adopted into a new home. People would say things like, oh, um, I could never do that. It would be too much. But from our perspective, really, in the end, it wasn't even a choice. If this child was going to be in our home, if we had said yes, we were going to love this child with our whole hearts. We were going to form good, healthy attachments to him and let him form good, healthy attachments to us because this was the way this baby was going to learn what love is. And I can honestly say, Brittany and I, without any holding anything back, loved that child with our whole hearts, even though we knew his time with us would be temporary. And not a lot of people in this room right here were part of that journey, walking alongside with us, supporting us in our journey with baby Sam. Did we think we could do it? No. Was it too much at times? Yes. But was it worth every ounce of our effort, love, and tears? Absolutely. 100%. Okay, so why am I telling you this story? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, November is Adoption Awareness Month. All over the world this month, people and organizations are promoting the importance of foster care and adoption. And in Hong Kong, right at this moment, there's a huge need for this. A news article came out not too long ago, you might have seen it, that said um, over the next few years, because of all the disruptions and all the families leaving that we've had during protests and COVID and all the things we've been facing in this city, um, there's going to be a 20% reduction, they believe, in the amount of foster homes that are available for children, leaving kids in need in a very vulnerable position. But this is it, church. This is where we have an opportunity to step up and literally make a dramatic, life-changing difference in the lives of these children. 
So the first thing I want to urge us today is this. Ask ourselves this question. Has the Lord called you to adopt children? Has the Lord called you to be foster parents, giving kids a safe home to live in before they are adopted into their forever families? Or what else can I do to support this area of life? If even if you just have a little bit of an inkling, if you're just a little bit curious, don't ignore that. Be curious, as Carla said last week. After all, this is literally a mandate from God. God commands us to do this. 1 James 2.7, religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. So find out more. Ask people that have gone through that journey. There are many families in our community that have gone through that, including Pastor Andrew and Chris, and they would be more than happy to sit down with you to tell you about their adoption journey and what God has placed on their hearts in this. Because I'm not kidding when I say, if the church got the act together, if followers of Jesus really came together to do this, we could literally see every single child in this city adopted or fostered in safe, healthy families. That's a reality. That's a goal that can actually be met by the people of God. So think about this church and ask God, what have I been called to do in this area? But as I was reflecting on this fact too, there's a deeper sort of theological truth that comes into mind and that convicts me as I, as I look at this. And to explore a bit more about that, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4. So if you can follow on the screen or if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 7. Let me read this for you. <clears throat> it says this, But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are God's child, he has made you also an heir. You see, we have just talked about these vulnerable children who are in need of homes, in need of someone to come and welcome them into a loving, safe family. But sometimes also we forget. Actually, we, we, we don't forget. Maybe, maybe we talk about this. We don't really absorb this. That if it wasn't for Jesus and what he had done for us on the cross, we too would be in the same position. Vulnerable. Hopeless. In need of a family. And this is precisely why Jesus was sent by God onto this earth. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship or daughtership. God sending his son was not an accident. It was done with a plan and a purpose, for his intention for God to become our heavenly father, for that relationship to be reconciled. God sending his son means that our sin no longer separates us or estranges us from him, but rather we are adopted into his family. God sending his son was a way of his demonstrating his unconditional, very real love for us. Before we did anything, God sent his son to save us, to adopt us into his family. And he continues to love us no matter what. So yes, you and I are just as much as in need of these children I was talking about earlier, to be adopted into a family, but into the family of God. 
right? And so when this happens, there's a powerful and fundamental change in your identity and the trajectory of your future. When we become sons and daughters of God, because of this, we are granted this special level of closeness and intimacy in our relationship with him. We got a glimpse of that just now as we were worshiping together. Because we are sons and daughters, he sent his spirit to us, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves, but we are children of God. And since we are his child, we are also heirs. So I admit it. Growing up in a more conservative, traditional um, background, I would get really weirded out when people would call God uh, Abba God or Daddy God. It it's always has sounded strange to me. I'm still getting used to it. But it did make me think about this. You see, one of the awkward things in our journey with adopting, uh, with fostering Sam, excuse me, was the fact that we had to come up with something that he could call us. Right? Because baby Sam had his biological parents, um, he also had a family that he was preparing to be adopted into, and we were sort of in this interim period, so what do we call ourselves? Um, we weren't mom and dad, so in the end we came up with um, Daddy L and Mama Brit, and like I said, we would call him Baby Sam. We thought that was close enough without crossing any lines or you know, um, be becoming anything inappropriate or anything like that. But it was tough, I tell you. It was really tough. I mean, it might sound silly, but every time I held Sam, every time I hung out with him, every time I would go home to him, I would so badly want to say, hi, son, daddy's back. But I couldn't say those words to him. But here's the thing. When it comes to our relationship with God, there are no such barriers of intimacy because we have been fully adopted into God's family. You are so much adopted that he's willing to give you his inheritance. You are an heir to his kingdom. So we sit right here today as sons and daughters of God, fully loved, fully accepted, filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of God's presence with us, his intimacy with us. These things give us full permission without hindrance to approach God and call him Abba, to call him Daddy. Right? This is the equivalent of Daddy. Abba is the equivalent of Daddy. And in Jesus' day, you would use this with a father no matter what your age it wasn't necessarily a small child talking to its father. It wasn't a status of your age, but rather the status of your relationship and your intimacy with your father, that you would call him Abba. So this is our identity. And yes, we talk about it, we sing about it, it makes us feel good and safe to embrace, and so it should. As a follower of Jesus, this is your number one identity what you stand on, what you build your life upon, what you build your faith upon, should be the fact that you have an unbreakable relationship with Jesus. But, here's the other thing. On the other hand, if we really want to embrace this, then I believe there are certain conditions. I mean, God's love for you is unconditional. Yes, I believe that strongly. But the conditions, I mean that it should change the way we function as human beings as children of God. It should change the way we approach all our relationships, including the relationships we have with our earthly family. God has a huge heart for families because God longs to see the generations praising His name. God sees the importance of families. And this is why fostering adoption is so important because He knows Children grow, thrive, and live the best when they're in good, healthy, loving families. And we're sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters with each other, yes. 
but we are also sons and daughters here of our parents. We refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also have our own brothers and sisters. And we call the church uh, the bride of Christ, but we, some of us here, are here with our spouses, or we have our own spouses that we relate to as well. So church, let me ask this question. How are those relationships going in your life right now? I ask this because I know from my own personal experience, the ironic thing is that it's possible that we might feel our relationship with God is thriving and doing well. We have a great relationship with our church family. But meanwhile, our relationships in our own homes and families are broken and tense. And since I'm standing here with you right now, let me give you an example of that. You guys see me uh, week after week. I host services quite often. I get to preach sometimes. I've met with a lot of you here for lunch, dinner, coffee. We've prayed together. We've served God together. So, and I think I've done, this, I've done an okay job at this. I mean, I'm still working here right now. haven't been let go yet. Um, most of you here, I think, have a pretty good impression of me. Um, but, you know, sometimes I wonder, actually, it's not even really wondering. I know that if you ask my wife, if you ask my sister or my brother, if you ask my mom or my dad, the answer might be quite different. The patience that I give so freely to you guys, it's not always the same patience that I share with my wife or my son. The generosity of the spiritual insights or advice that I give to you guys, my brother and sister might scoff at because they don't really see that side of me that often. And I get it, right? Family relationships are hard. And working on these relationships is probably one of the most challenging things that we can do. And for some of us, relationships within our families are wounded and scarred by serious abuse because the ones we thought would love us and protect us have turned out to be the ones to hurt us the most. And hear this very carefully, church. If this is the case, like Carla said like we, last week, priority, safety is the priority. Right? This is not a call to return into an abusive situation. I cannot stress that more clearly. But good, healthy families are essential to God's plan of redemption. Spouses that love and respect each other. Children who honor their parents. Parents that empower their children. Siblings that have each other's backs. We need to build healthy families because healthy families are one of the ways God is going to demonstrate his love for the world. Healthy families literally have the power to transform entire societies. During the protest and the pandemic, we've heard from so many people, one of the areas that struggled with immediately that felt the strain of these things happening was the area of family relationships. It was as if, you know, things were already tense, put into a pressure cooker, and what came out was just a huge mess. So we have a chance to redeem this because God cares about families. Scripture is full of instructions about how God wants the family to work. And I understand also, yes, each family unit might look quite different. And your family structure might not be um, the same as, you know, what the traditional, whatever that is, family structure is. So I apologize, we don't have time to get into every single nuance of families right now, but I really do hope that you get the heart of what I'm trying to say today. So we're going to turn back to Scripture. We go now to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18 to verse 20. Let's look at this. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, 
Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, I know how this sounds. A married pastor up here spouting about submissive wives, okay, hear me out. I know, okay, the word submit can stir up feelings and images of harsh dominance and resistance. And throughout history, we must acknowledge that there has been a lack of protection for women's rights and women's empowerment. And it's a battle that we still have today. But hear me also in this. This verse isn't talking about um, husbands giving um, some sort of authority to dominate over their wives. It's not saying that. This isn't a call for wives to attend to a husband's every whim and, and wish. This isn't a scripture about um, women don't have a place or don't have their own opinions. This isn't a scripture to say that women are, wives are second class in comparison with the roles of their husband. Okay, It's not saying that. The model for this submission here isn't determined by the husband's dominance. Rather, the submission of Jesus to the Father and submission of the church to Jesus is the model of what real submission looks like. So submission is not really about dominance. Submission is about creating a beautiful partnership of mutual accountability between husband and wife, not the superiority over one and the other. So what does this look like? A few keys here. Firstly, it's this. Submission comes voluntarily. This is a challenge for you wives. But you have to choose to engage in this. Okay, please, again, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean giving up your rights, giving up your worth, giving up your dignity. Choosing to engage, choosing to submit, means actually taking a position of humility. Learning how to be patient with your husband. Bearing with him, supporting each other along the way, learning to forgive and listen well. This is the posture of humility. A good picture of this is what we see at the beginning of, um, when God created Adam and Eve, right? God created Adam and gave him Eve as a what? As a helper to work alongside him, to support each other in that journey, not as someone that Adam could demonstrate his authority over. Second thing is this. Submission, it says, goes only as far as is fitting with the Lord. Because ultimate authority always belongs to Jesus. And wives are called to submit only as far as is appropriate for a follower of Jesus to do so. Which is why the second thing Paul goes on to say is this. Husbands, love your wives. So this proves my point. It's interesting, right? If, if Paul was talking about male dominance... If Paul was really concerned about the man being in charge of everything the wife does and all that stuff, he probably would have said, husbands, dominate your wives. Tell them what to do. But he doesn't. The core here is to love. And you have to understand, this, actually, this was super countercultural in the context that Paul was, was ministering in because in those times, love wasn't even considered necessary as a part of a marriage relationship. But God realizes that in order to build healthy families, the driving force must be love. So this is why he says, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. To not be harsh with our wives means that we don't treat them like subjects. To not be harsh with our wives means holding no bitterness against them. 
This is the root of the word harsh. It actually refers to bitterness. So what does bitterness look like in a husband's relationship to the wife? Well, I think for me, for me at least in my understanding, it comes this. Bitterness comes when, we start, when husbands start to blame the wives for things. Bitterness comes, we build bitterness in our wives when there's finger pointing. Bitterness comes when we project our failures onto our wives. Bitterness comes when we have unrealistic expectations of our relationship with our wives. So the call here is to love, but not just any kind of love, sacrificial love. The same love that Jesus showed the church. Husband, love your lives, loves your wives as Christ loves the church. And how did Christ love the church? So much so that he was willing to die for the church, give up everything to redeem the church. And just, look, just as the wives looks to Jesus as an example for, to submit, the husband looks to Jesus as a model to love. And how did Jesus love? Ultimately, Jesus loved through great sacrifice. So this is a strong challenge, husbands. It's almost as a verse is saying, if a wife wants to see what the love of Jesus looks like, a good thing, a good example of that should be the husband's. And this is a model. This is a model, an ideal for a good, strong, healthy marriage. Now, when we have a good marriage, when within a marriage, sometimes children are involved also. And so Paul gives some instructions to that as well. Paul goes on to say, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, I get it also. When we use the word obey, again, it conjures up uncomfortable feelings. I mean, obey, really? Maybe for young children, of course, you don't really know how to think for themselves, but, you know, I'm a grown-up. I'm a grown person. You know, do I have, still have to obey? In fact, when do we stop becoming a child? When do we stop becoming a child? When does that status change? I mean, maybe we don't. I mean, if we always want to embrace our role as a child of God, then we're always um, our parents' children too, aren't we? No matter how old we are. I mean, as we grow and mature, our relationships with our parents might change. But your status as a child is not bound by age. And so often I find this hard to remember for myself as well. I find myself getting annoyed and frustrated at my parents. You know, don't tell me what to do. I'm a grown man. I'm guilty of this all the time. I'm getting better, but I still am. A lot of the time when my mom calls, I just go, you pick up the phone, I know what she's going to say too. Uh-huh, yeah, dala, mm, tilo, okay, mm, hola, haya, okay, okay, dala, okay, tijofana, okay, bye-bye, you know, and that's it. My aim is not to engage with her, okay, mom's out there, okay. My aim is to get her off the phone as fast as I can so I can return to what I'm doing, right? It took my mom almost going to be with Jesus last year for me to start shifting my attitude towards that. So what does it mean to obey as children from 1 to 99? What does it mean to obey our parents? There's three things here I want us to do to, in an effort to enjoy and uh, to, to be a better children of our parents. The three things are this, hearing, understanding, and responding. So hearing. Hearing is when we open our ears to what our parents have to say to us. Hearing means you remain in a posture of receiving when your parents are trying to talk to you. Hearing means you refrain from talking over them, from allowing 
them suitable time and space to express themselves. And this might not be easy, right? You might have to learn how to hold your tongue. You might have to learn how to control your anger. But we must be able to hear our parents. Because without hearing, we cannot move on to step two, which is understanding. Understanding is the process of being able to fully put yourself in your parents' shoes. Understanding is the ability to practice empathy, to look at situations from your parents' perspective, to put down your own defenses and agenda. Let me give you an example from my own life again. My dad and I, I think we have a good relationship. We hang out, we go and eat, we used to do a lot of trail running together. He is an excellent dad, a man of honor, a man of integrity, a man of generosity. But at the same time, growing up, I would admit I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. You know, because I would watch all these American movies where the dad would be like super affectionate, right? You get this little, hey, sport, come over here, you know, and he'd like rub the child on the head and give him a hug. It's like, okay, now, go get them, son. And the son would be like full of confidence all of a sudden, right, and go out there and do a slam dunk and hit the home run, and everybody would be cheering, and like dad would come out again and hug them, and it just looked like such a perfect picture of what a father was like. And I'd feel resentful because like, my dad's never said those things to me. My dad has never told, I've never heard the words, I love you, come out of his mouth. He's never given me a hug like that. And I admit, I would start to get resentful. Well, how come my dad doesn't love me in that way? There was a particular point in time where I became really angry about this, amongst other things. It was a time of my life where, as a young adult, I'd just come back to Hong Kong. I was working through a deep season of depression. I felt like nobody cared about me. I felt like my dad was just being silent, ignoring me, because he wouldn't engage with me in conversation about my feelings. Until one night, we were cooking dinner, and my mom talked to me. I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know what? You know, your dad has noticed that you've been acting different recently. He's noticed that these days you're sad, and, and he thinks you're going through um, a season of depression. And he's been praying for you. He hasn't eaten, he's fasted for the past three days. He hasn't eaten a single thing for three days because he's been fasting and praying for you. I think I just wanted you to know that, son. I had no idea that, what he was, that, was, that was what he was doing. And I got to think about it. You see, what I failed to understand was my dad and his brothers never grew up with their dad. For his dad died when he was just a toddler. My grandma raised six children on her own, single-handedly. He never had his dad around. He didn't have anyone to show him that kind of affection either. And after coming to that understanding of where he was coming from, it helped me to show honor and respect and to obey him better. So we must seek to understand. The final thing is this, responding. Now, responding is very different to reacting. Reacting is almost like a reflex, right? Someone pinches you, you say, ow. Someone punches you, you punch, you turn the other cheek, right? Okay. Right? Reacting is just instinctual. In this context, reacting is when your parents talk to you, you just come back with whatever you want to say that comes out of your mouth first. That's reacting, and often reacting is not helpful. But responding. Responding is what happens when we've gone through the process of hearing and understanding. So that when we speak, our words, as Paul tells us later, can be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Responding is opening up to your parents, being able to have civil, calm conversations, even on things that you might not agree with. Responding is an act of love and honor to your parents.
Now, just as children are called to love and honor and obey their parents, parents are now called to do the same for their children. Let's read on. Fathers or mothers, parents, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, this is a word for you parents. This is your term. You guys were nodding your head, looking at your kids. We're talking about obedience, okay? Now, here's a word for you. Because there's mutual responsibility here. And let me start by saying this. We have to realize, parents, being a kid these days in Hong Kong is really, really tough. Right? It's no secret that almost from the day kids are born, we're born into a system that forces kids to achieve from the time they're barely even able to walk. Right? You have to get into the right nursery, so you get to the right kindergarten, so you get to the right primary school, to get to the right high school, to get to the right university, so you can get the best job that you can. So when you're still like, pooping in your nappy, you're already being forced to make life-changing, life-directing like, decisions from the time you're a baby. It's a ridiculous system that a two-year-old has to go through an extensive interview to enter into a school, okay? Now, again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not anti-education. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't challenge our children to do hard things, to achieve, to study hard. All these things aren't bad in and of themselves. But what an awful lot of pressure it is for a child to force them into doing things, to go through that kind of system. Add this to the pressure kids from social media these days. I didn't grow, no, when I was growing up, there wasn't much social media. We were, I didn't grow up with smartphones and all that kind of stuff, so I can only even imagine the impossible challenge of, of, you know, relating yourself with all these things you see on social media. The very real, but behind the scenes, cyberbullying that a lot of kids are going through. The extracurricular activities that we force them to go through. And recently, the changes in school schedules, in school, out of school, all these kind of things. Being a young person in Hong Kong is a difficult road. So parents, let's take what scripture says here seriously. Do not provoke our children. The word provoke is called eridizo. It means to make them become resentful. So parents, in your effort to teach and educate your children, we have to be careful that we too are respecting them as individuals. One of the most amazing things about how God made us is that we are all unique. We are all worthy in their eyes. God loves us, and his love of us doesn't change no matter what. And God's favor upon his children is not tied up to what they can achieve. So why do we sometimes place these expectations on our kids? You know, Chinese parents, I know I'm stereotyping here, but one thing that bugs me so much every time I hear it was when, when I hear the words from a parent to a child, ah, you are useless. We, parents say this all the time in this city, and it's a problem. We need to stop tying up our children with what they can achieve. But did you know a recent study showed that only half of secondary school students in Hong Kong show signs of depression? 70% of students in Hong Kong reported that they have a bad relationship with their parents. This should break our hearts. It should really make us think as parents, ask ourselves, how do we contribute to this? And how do we demonstrate God's love to our children? So here, again, are a few suggestions. Get to know your child. 
As the parent, yes, you are the parent, but how well do you truly know your child? How much time are we spending with them, asking about their interests, asking about their feelings, their hopes, their dreams? These are great conversations to engage with with your child regularly. Acknowledge their efforts. Again, achievement is not a bad thing in itself, but when everything is tied up to achievement, that becomes a lot of pressure. When our kids do good things, yes, let's celebrate it. Don't just take it for granted. But when they fail to achieve our expectations, celebrate their efforts. Tell them well done. Tell them good job. Challenge and teach them to try again. And let's never use shame to motivate our children to do better. God never puts us to shame. So we should never do this to our children as well. Finally, it's this. Remind them of their worth. Children need to hear that they're good enough. They need to be reassured that their worth is never and will never ever be tied up with what they can do. They need to know that failing is okay, that it's not the end, but rather we learn from our failures and we move on. And ultimately, as parents, just as husbands and wives are called to demonstrate an example of the gracious love of God to each other, when your child looks to you, our goal for them is to give them a glimpse of what the Father's love for us might look like. And here's the really beautiful thing. When families are working as God intended them to work, when husbands and wives are loving each other, when children are obeying their parents, parents are empowering their children, God is pleased. And the generations are blessed through such families. Deuteronomy 7.9 The Lord your God is your God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant to, and of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful to building healthy, good families. Let me show you how by tying this all together. I started this message by telling you about baby Sam, our foster baby. Well, like I said, about nine months with us, um, he was matched to a family, and we had the privilege of going through the gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching process of helping him transition out of our home into his forever family. And saying goodbye to baby Sam was, will forever be one of the hardest things that we've ever had to do as a family. But you know what? Throughout this process, we had one prayer. Our prayer was that Sam would be adopted into a loving, healthy family, and that somehow we would be able to stay in touch and be a part of his life. But just like God showed us his love by adopting us into his family, Sam was adopted into the most perfect, beautiful family that I believe God was preparing for him. He has parents that love him so well that are raising him up. What might have been a story of brokenness has transformed into a story of redemption. But here's here's something even cooler. Not long after Sam left our home, God gave us our own child, Isaiah, whom I hope we're raising in a family that's filled with love and the presence of God is this as well. And God answered our prayer. He gave us even more than we could imagine or ask for. He even answered our prayer by allowing us to stay in touch with Sam and his family. And here's this picture of Sam now as a grown boy praying with our boy, Isaiah, just a couple of months ago. Look at those cheeky faces, right? 
God loves families. He loves your family. And he wants to see the brokenness in your family healed. He wants to see the generations of the love of his love being passed down through the generations. So my prayer is that every family here today, no matter what it looks like for you, will truly know God and his love. I pray that we would learn how to love our family members and that we would find the remedy of a broken relationship within our families through loving each other as God has loved us. And that through this, God would display his faithfulness through the generations until he returns or takes us home. So church, I wonder if you would stand with me. If you're here with your family today, maybe this is an opportunity just to hold each other, get close to each other right now, if, you know, with your spouse or with your kids, I encourage you to do that. But I also know there might be people in today with, who don't have their families here with them, or maybe your family aren't here, all your earthly family is gone, you don't have an earthly family. Or maybe like earlier I was saying, it's been so estranged, it's been a, it's been a background of abuse, it's been a background of deep hurt. If that's you, maybe grab some of your brothers, sisters in Christ around you and have them surrounding you right now. Perhaps as families here going through the process of praying for children and, and wanting to have children but haven't been able to do that. And God sees your pain in that as well. Like I said, there's a whole variation of things and I'm sorry I can't be able to touch on everything but God knows God knows what your family's like but God loves your family so deeply and as we pray we remember you know in the Bible it's full of examples of broken families of messed up situations but God always somehow in the end redeems them by his wisdom and his love so let me pray for us Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are the true Father. That all of us have a place in your home. That nobody has been given up by you, but rather, Lord, you love us deeply, adopting us into your household, redeeming us by your blood. Every single person in this room can call out to you, Abba, Father, today, because of your love for us. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that this same love that you've given to us, Lord, would permeate every single home, every single family, every single situation right now. That we would learn to love as you have loved, especially those in our family. And that from this, Lord, from healthy, good families, from children being placed in homes that are safe and, and, and an environment where they can thrive, Lord, you are changing the world by your love in this way. And that the generations to come would have, would have stories of praise, would have testimonies of, of healing and of redemption because your love was at work in their families. So we pray for ourselves. We pray for our parents. We pray for the generations to come after us. 
that we would truly feel your love at work in the lives of our homes and our families. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.